So um, you might be wondering, who is this? You may not know who we are. So I just want to take a minute to introduce us. This is my wife, Carol Beth. They don't, yes, know me. Yes. they don't know me as Carol Beth. Well, a lot of them don't know me as Carol yes. Beth. This is Pastor CB. She is the leadership development pastor here. And so that means she gets to oversee all our internship programs and leadership development things such as ECLI. So if you are in or have been in ECLI before, will you just raise your hand? Yes, yes. Look, people survive. It's good. Yes, it's, it, listen, it's and really, they're at their next level. It's a super cool um, leadership program that um, if you want to just dig really deep for 15 months and learn a lot about yourself, a lot about God, and become all you can be, you should definitely look into ECLI. And I am um, Dan Durbin. I am the small groups pastor here, and we've been on staff here for going on six years. A while. And we absolutely love it here, and we are happy to be able to bring to you the third week of the Wonder Women series. So we are going to talk about a really cool story. You know, the Pastor Ivy came and talked about Moses' wife, Zipporah, in week one. And then last week we had um, the pastors Pearson, as I like to call them, Kirk and Cheyenne. And they did a great job talking out of Luke chapter 13 about the crippled woman and all that God did in Pastor Cheyenne's life as she denied the facts and lived, lived through faith and walked out a very long journey of not believing what the enemy wanted to do to her, but to believe the promises of God. So it was a super cool, you know, series that we're developing. And next week, I am so excited to hear from Pastors Tommy and Angela Calhoun. Y'all give it up for them. So if you want to read ahead, they're going to be talking about Eve next week. But this week, Carol Beth and I get to talk about another unnamed woman in the Bible. She's mentioned five times. It is Noah's wife, and Carol Beth is going to explain exactly who we think she is. Right. The Bible doesn't give her a name when it's talking about her as Noah's wife. But Jewish tradition, you know, they've been studying this forever and ever. And so they firmly believe that she actually is named Nama, which is kind of cute. You know, Noah and Nama sitting in a tree. Anyway, um, but the reason why they think that is her is because Nama is mentioned in Genesis 4. So two chapters before we hear about Noah. And she is descended from the line of Cain. And you may remember that Cain... Cain was one of um, Adam and Eve's first two boys, um, and he had some yucky stuff going up on in his heart, and he killed his brother. And so when he killed his brother, God cast him out, and God said um, he would put protection over him, though. So if anyone tried to avenge Abel's death by trying to kill Cain, God would protect him um, seven times uh, uh, yes, that's what I mean. So, but five generations past that, so in Cain's generation, comes a man named Lamech. And Lamech had way more evil in his heart than even Cain did. Um, Lamech also killed someone. He was also the first person to introduce polygamy or having more than one wife into the human race. That was special. And then, when we, that creates drama. Anyway, can you seriously, focus. men, can you imagine two wives? Like, let's, like. Mm. I'm blessed with one. I got all I need in her right here. So anyway, um, back to Lamech and his not-so-greatness. Um, but he also, um, as, God, as God said that he would avenge Cain's death seven times, Lamech took pride in himself and said, yeah, I know I killed somebody, but God's going to avenge me 77 times. So he was just eat up with ugly. And, um, but this was... Nama's daddy, okay? So she's the only female listed in that, um, in that genealogy that's in Genesis 4. And so that's one of the main reasons why the Jewish um, scholars really believe that they don't name women very often, especially way back then. So there had to be a purpose to name her. And so they really do believe that that was Noah's wife. So Nama came from a horrible background, if that's her daddy. that It's obvious you can see his value system and all of those kinds of things and his personality just from what he did. So those are the kinds of things she grew up with. Now, thankfully, she was able to get out of that 
family line and join up with Noah. And I don't exactly know how marriages happened, like how people got engaged and all that kind of stuff way back in the day, but I really want to believe that Naima got to pick Noah because she saw something she liked. Honestly, she saw the presence of God in Noah because in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, this is how it describes Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, which meant everybody liked him. Like, he wasn't the weird, awkward, fuddy-duddy, right? Like, everybody liked him. And he faithfully walked with God. So you could tell that he had been with God. It was obvious to everyone. So she was able to walk into a family environment that was finally peaceful and loving and compassionate, which was so different than how she was raised, which is great a great way for me to remind you, if you are single and you haven't had the opportunity to choose your spouse yet, choose wisely. Like for real, because you never know what life is going to throw at you. And so you don't want to settle for some just some guy that may just happen to be hot or some girl that happens to be pretty, like that'll only take you so far. You don't want someone like Lamech was. You don't want someone who bases everything on their looks or prestige or whatever. You need a man of character. You need a woman of character because when life gets hard, you have to be able to rely on that and on the wisdom that God gives you to get through. So this, um, this story really teaches us something. The first thing it teaches us, and the possibility that Naaman is the one who is Noah's wife, is that do you notice how five generations removed from Cain, when Cain made a wicked choice and God said, curse be Cain, right? That wickedness begot wickedness. And how often in the Bible as you read stories, you hear, well, this king was wicked, but then his son was more wicked than his father, Okay. So you would almost think, man, that's, that was her destiny. She was destined to live a wicked life. But God. But a choice. We all have the opportunity to choose righteousness and to align ourselves not with what our family line necessarily, if it's wicked, seems to indicate we're destined for. But we have the choice to choose God and to walk in his righteousness and to walk faithfully with him and see that he has invited all of us, regardless of our past and honestly, regardless of what our perception of our own capacity is, God thinks more highly of what he can do in Philip, of what he can do in Talon, of what he can do in Amy Brown. He thinks more highly of what you can accomplish in him than you think. But the question is, will you believe God in the midst of even a wicked generation and do great things? So our challenge this morning as we tell the story of Noah and Nama is that you actually place yourself there and deny the doubts that are in your mind and believe the truth that's about you. So, if you'll go, if you have your Bibles with you, open to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. And while Noah and Nama were living a righteous life, I want you to picture in your mind what was going on around them. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination, notice it doesn't say, for most people, most of their inclinations. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. So that the Lord said, I will, wait, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But the story doesn't end there. Because... God always is looking for a way to extend grace in the earth. And so he looks throughout the earth, and who does he see? He sees Noah, this man who walks with him, this man who is righteous and blameless. And if you go on from 6, verses 5 through 7, to 6, 11 through 22, you'll see that God encounters Noah, and he goes to him and he says, 
what he just said to us. I'm going to destroy the earth. But he says, not you. Not you and your wife, nor your sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, nor your sons' wives. I choose the eight of you to carry on the human race. Now, what, what was Naaman's possibility at that moment? No, 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 not me. You don't know my past, Lord. Like, I can't. Because at this point, he's going to destroy, God is going to destroy the entire human race except for Eve and her off, excuse me, Nama and her offspring. She is going to be the mother or the second Eve of, of all of us. Like, we are all descended from Noah's wife in some form or fashion. She could choose to believe God or she could choose at that point to not believe God and to believe what the enemy, the lies are. Are you guys identifying with this? Like God calls you to something and you're like, no, let me tell you why I'm not qualified, God. And God is saying, listen, I, I pulled the trump card that is my grace, that is my power, that is my love, and I, and, and I overcome your doubts, your fears, your shortcomings and say, I am able to do anything in you. Now listen to this thing, Noah, that I'm calling you to. I want you to go build a giant boat. What's a boat? It's a thing that floats in water for people to live on if there's a flood. There'd never been a flood. What's a flood? <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't, like, God is asking them to prepare for something that had never happened in the earth before. Like, it didn't make sense to them. But they believed God anyway to the extent that he said, this boat's so big that it's three stories tall. And it's 100,000 square feet. Like, think about that for a minute. If your house is 2,000 square feet, it's 50 times the size of your house. It's, this boat made out of gopher wood is three times the size of this building. And God says, when you build this boat at the appointed time, I will bring to you seven pairs of every clean animal and two pairs of every unclean animal. And I want you to stock this boat with enough food to feed these animals for an entire year. That's a lot going on. It's so big, by the way, you can park the space shuttle. He, God didn't really say space shuttle because Noah wouldn't have known what a space shuttle was. You know what I'm saying? I'm he just saying for your reference. He didn't know what a boat was either. He didn't know what a boat was anyway. either. He's like, it's, it's, it's big. It's big, right? He said, you'll be able to park three space shuttles on the roof of this thing. And once you build it, I want you to get in that thing, and I'm going to close it up, and the rains are going to cover the earth. And I'm going to flood the earth, and only the eight of you are going to survive. It's kind of funny. We were talking about this at the breakfast table a few months ago, and we are talking about all the details. If you're one of those very organized, what we like to call a camel personality, and you've got the list rolling of, oh, that's a lot of food for a lot of animals. Okay. So we're talking about all this kind of logistics, and Matt, our 15-year-old, was over there making his coffee, and out of nowhere he goes, so what you're telling me is that Noah was the ultimate doomsday prepper. <laughs> yes. Yes, son. Yes, he was. But when you think about it, that made sense to him because that's not been so long that everybody was so terrified of that and stockpiling everything. So you never know when your kids are listening. So, you know, part of um, it's Father's Day and part of being a dad is that it's our responsibility to teach. Like it's first our responsibility to teach our family the word. And that can be pretty intimidating. But I want you to just release the intimidation of that read the scripture, understand it the best you can, and just tell the story and allow your kids to hear it like without being super theological about it. Because Matt essentially, like it's, it's like he had a Pastor IV moment, you know? He made something that was, that was familiar yet hard for us to understand, and he brought it to the right now just like that because he understood it in his words, like totally the original prepper. I was like, Yes, you're exactly right. <laughs> so, like, share it with them and let them respond to it in their, in their way. So, um, the challenge at this point is how do you hear from God something amazing like that and then go to your wife and tell her this is what's going down and her understand, yeah, you really heard from God. Yeah, think about it, ladies. I'm not sure if you've ever had this experience, but if not, just pretend. Your husband comes to you and says, hey, baby, guess what we're about to do? 
And then he starts downloading all of these details. Again, things that you have no concept of what they even are. But you start thinking about, you hear the dimensions and you hear all of these things and your mind starts spinning. And it starts spinning with things like logistics of gathering food and making cages to keep the lions away from the impala and like all of the different things that you have to get done and so that in itself can be overwhelming but straight up just sound crazy you start thinking about I'm going to be in a boat with my daughters-in-law is that good or bad you know who knows we don't know right depends but on who your daughters-in-law it does. are you like do you have it a does. favorite daughter-in-law do you want her to make it but the other two mm, can we do something about this Lord? Can we make some arrangements? You know, like all that was really going down. But even before you get in the boat, there's decades of building it. And like, what are you going to explain to the neighbors? Like, but baby, our, our backyard's only so big. I don't know where we're going to build this. And it's going to look a lot bigger than a tree fort for the kids. You know, like it's, it's that. But then you start thinking about, you have the little things like smell of animals and things they produce. But then you have the thought too of, Everybody that I know is going to die. Every single person. That's my mama. And the fact that God called you to this great thing, like where do you think the gopher wood came from? Like Noah and Nama had to use their personal assets, their own resources to make this thing that God called them to. There was a personal cost associated with obeying God and walking that out. That's not out, like, yes, God provided the provision necessary to fulfill what he asked them to do, but some of that provision was their own resources. But think about how awkward it was for Nama in that moment. Because nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that God spoke to her. It doesn't say that she was there when he came and decided to tell Noah all of these details. So she had a choice to make. She had to decide, do I believe him, as in Noah, or do I not? Do I jump on this crazy adventure? Because, well, if I don't and it's true, then I'm dying. And then what do we do? And then if, if it isn't true, then I run the risk of looking like an idiot into the entire community around me. So she had to make a choice. She had an opportunity whether to trust God and trust her husband or not to. It could have been and probably was super awkward. So... The question then becomes, like, why did Nama listen to Noah? What was it about Noah that caused Nama to follow what God was telling him to do? Well, I think we find the answer in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, where it says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and he walked with God. The thing is, reputation. They had lived at this point, it says they were 500 years old, which even if at this point you say, all right, well, let's put that in a ratio to today's time, you know, they were most of the way through their life. They're, they're 50 years old at this point, 40, 50 years old. They had been together a long time, and she had learned to trust Noah and his hearing of God's voice. Well, how does that happen? Does that, does that happen because, you know, I swing into a small group every now and then? Does that happen because I come to church two out of every five Sundays? Does that come because once I bought a devotional book at Walmart because it was on the end cap and it was only $5 and I read it every now and then? No, it says Noah walked with God. Now, what does that mean? It means when Noah got done spending time with God, he smelled like God. He talked like God. He acted like God. He served and loved and honored and led like his father does. If, if men, we say, well, why isn't she submitting? It says in Ephesians chapter 5, wives submit to your husbands. If she's not, Milan Lefebvre says, you know, he's been here a couple times and taught like super wise, deep, incredible man of God. He says something, you're like, did you just leave the secret place with God? Because that was amazing. He said this. He said, I can only lead Christy to the extent that she allows me. And if she's not following, am I worthy of leading her? Is it me or is it her? 
So we believe the reason why Nama followed Noah is because he had built a reputation over time of, I've spent time with my father. I mean, I've really spent time with him to the point that it transformed me into a powerful, loving, honorable servant who will always obey what God tells me to do. So we want to bring it kind of back to today's time, and we want to tell you some stories about our lives and how we've had some opportunities in our story to be able to make these kinds of choices where we've had opportunities to go, okay, is this God or is this not God? We've been married for almost 18 years. We've been together for about 20. Um, and we've, um, in, in those 18 years, we've had the opportunity to move town to town about four, three times three-ish times. We'll, we'll figure it out. And, um, but in those moments, we were able to see God working, and we were able to see how he was able to bring us to unity and speak to both of us so that we knew when it was right to go and when it wasn't. So when we first got married, we lived in Birmingham, and then when Matt was about six months old, um, we just realized we wanted something else. Dan wanted a different job, and we were kind of adulting, you know, because you got to do that once you have a kid. You got to adult at some level. Yes, and so, you should adult when you have children. You should. And so we just kind of felt that stirring to just go and spread our wings a little bit. So we did. We moved down to Dothan, and um, it was a great town. We weren't sure we were going to like it at the beginning, but we really ended up loving it. And there wasn't a specific mission that we felt like God was telling us to do when we got there. We just knew he was preparing us for something different. It was there that Dan got deployed, and so I was there by myself with, with Matt for a, over a year, so got to learn to trust and depend on him, but it was a great way for him to take us to our next level. But that move wasn't hard for us because we were both on the same page and both had heard God, God moving in our hearts. We had a reputation in each other's hearts and minds that was, I know Carol by spending time with God. She knew I was spending time with God. We were both in unity about this decision that we came about. So while we had conviction that we were doing the right thing and we had a passion to follow where God was leading us, it also meant we had to actually take some actionable steps to make the vision come to fruition. Like at some point, Noah had to buy the gopher wood. At some point, they had to go get the pitch and they had to start putting this thing together and they had to walk it out. Well, we did too. I had to quit my job, had to get a job had to sell the house, had to move the family. You know, so just being convinced what the will of God is, is not enough. There has to be action behind the conviction in order to see the vision fulfilled. And when we did, God did great things in us in that. So after a few years, we lived there for four and a half years, um, we began to get restless again. And we begin to experience like, hey, God's doing something. And he birthed this great thing inside of Carol Beth's heart that was, hey, I want to have this summer camp. And y'all, Dothan is like 976 degrees year round and gnats attack you like the and demons. Love bugs. They have love bugs. Just research them. And They're so you don't, want, you don't want a summer camp in, in Dothan. And we wanted to move, like we had moved away from family. We were ready to be back with family again. And so we began to pray about, does God want us to do this thing? And we were convinced, even though there was nothing wrong except for gnats, love bugs, and heat in Dothan, that God was done with us there, and it was time to move. And so again, like we started walking that out in unity. Absolutely, this is the step we're supposed to take. And we moved to Killen, and it was awesome. Like we had, we we lived in the most beautiful house we'd ever lived in. I had my parents 15 minutes to the east. She had her parents 15 minutes to the west. Like we. And now we had, we had had our second child in Dothan, and we were about to have Jacob in, in Killen. And it just, it was really awesome because we were on the same page, and we were moving toward what we both believed God had for us. And then the third move was obviously when we moved here. And um, again, that move was a little harder, but we were still both on the same page. We were loving Florence and, and loving the fact that um, we thought we were going to be a part of launching the Shoals campus from Epic because we had been driving from Killen here every week for about three years or so. And um, so we were helping that campus launch and seeing God do great things and whatnot and just loving being home. And then um, Pastor Ivy came one day. I'll try to make it less girly and more like Pastor Ivy would you. say. 
Um, but For the sake of <clears throat> Pastor Ivy and his reputation, I right. love you, Pastor. So Pastor Ivy comes and he sits down at my kitchen table and he's like, okay, so it's been great having y'all on staff and we like what you all can bring to the table. But if you want to stay on staff, we, meet, we need you to move to Decatur. And you have 72 hours to tell us one way or the other. Or thanks for everything. It's been great. You know, every now and then you have a person that comes into your life that um, is, is determined to do great things in the kingdom. And they have the gift of calling the best out of you. And he gave us an invitation that was one of, one of the most exciting journeys we've ever been on. Like, I'm grateful that he is unapologetically moving toward what God has called us to. And in his kindness and in his boldness to move towards this thing, he said, listen, I see something in you. I feel like um, this is where I need you on the team. And if you want to be a part of that, we want you to come. If not, like, it's fine. I'm not going to be mad at you, but you need to move to Decatur. Well, guys, it blindsided us. It was straight out of left field, didn't expect it. We thought we would die in the shoals, that, that God had called us there and this camp. But there comes a time in your life if you have common vision, common goals, the desire to see the kingdom move forward, where God asks you to kill something good for something much greater. And so it was a hard decision to kill the thing that we had because we had something really great going on. But we loved what God was doing at Epic Indicator more and the opportunity to be a part of it. So again, we were in unity happened quick and we're like let's pull the trigger but that doesn't mean that it was easy this time to walk it out no because i did i did come to the realization that i was going to have to give up that nonprofit that i knew that god had called me to remember the whole green cone silver cone message that pastor ivy did not too long ago um, my my nonprofit that I had was my green cone is what got us up to the shoals to begin with, and then this bright shiny sparkly silver cone called Epic Church popped in our in our lives. So it was hard to do those things to watch things shift and change, but we couldn't imagine not being a part of what God was doing through here, and we could see Him moving. So yes, while it was hard, it was obvious. But not every decision has come that way, and not every one of our opportunities has been quite that unified. So after we had been in Decatur for several years and our kids were finally well-adjusted and we kind of felt like we were hitting on all, I'll say eight cylinders. I'm a V8, you know, so we were, we were all sitting on, we were all hitting on eight cylinders um, and we felt like everything's rocking along. We began to get, excuse me, I began to get restless. And I was like, you know, I feel like my season in this place is over and I think it's time to, to go to something else. And I got really unsettled, and um, I began to ask God what he was doing. And I was grateful for being the business pastor. I was grateful for the way God had prepared me for that thing. But I had more of this pastor thing in my heart that I wanted to do. And I got really, I don't know how to explain it other than restless and a little bit agitated, which is always a sign to me, like, go, go be with God. Find out what that is. Well, I don't hide that very well, so the pastor saw it too. And... <laughs> Pastor Benet was like, I think it's time for you to go away. But she didn't fire me. She sent me to a cabin in the woods to hear from God. And so we rented a cabin, and we'll do that periodically just to, to fight for spiritual health and to, to, to hear from God. And, and I go away, and while I'm there, I become convinced that God is calling Carol Beth and I to, to leave Epic and to move to Peoria, Illinois, and to plant a church. And I'm like, I, I was like 96 and a half percent sure this is like, I don't think we're, we're very rarely a hundred percent sure what God's calling us to do, but I was, I was pretty sure. So sure that before I got home, I stopped by, you know, because I was on the east side of Alabama and you come to the pastor's house before you get to Southwest Decatur. And so I just went ahead and swung in there before I talked to my wife. And I had a conversation with the pastors. Yeah, you like that, don't you? It was really, it was the, one of the most brilliant moves I've ever made in my life. You should totally tell your boss that you're leaving the city before you tell your wife, for sure, every time. Um, and they were like, 
a little bit surprised, but it resonated with them. So now my spiritual authority agrees this is the thing that's supposed to go. So much so that, Dan, we'll raise money. We'll send y'all. You can carry the epic, you know, name up there or not. Like, whatever's in your heart to do, it's fine. We'll ask five or ten families to, to pack up and go with you and see the vision fulfilled. Like, absolutely like we held hands in the living room and prayed and Jesus came down I mean like a visible manifestation not really and then I went home and I because I want to tell her face to face so that she could see that I had been with God and I was like Moses like the radiance of the Lord was coming off my face and I said babe you won't believe like I've been with God and you know there was waterfalls and mountains and the Lord came in the room and he said go to Peoria. And she said, no. And I said, woman, Ephesians 5 says, submit to your husband. Pack the bags. Let's go. And if any of you know me very well, that was, yeah, not effective. Men, we'll get together after this so. and we'll have a meeting about how you should really lead your wives. But, but right that now ain't, we'll go on with that. That ain't it. That's so not it. anyway, yeah, I was totally blindsided. Um, if you know my character at all, I love being Southern. Like Jacob on the Mother's Day video was talking about, I love me some fried okra. It's so true. I love everything about being Southern. But here was the deal. It took me by surprise because just like Nama, I wasn't at the cabin with him. I mean, I was praying for him while he was gone, but nowhere in God's green earth would I have thought about moving to Peoria, Illinois, where it's super cold a lot of the year. And yeah, so anyway, and, um, but I was just completely blindsided because I was seeing all that God was doing here. And I kept thinking, okay, all the rest of the times that we've moved, We've been on the same page. Like, we both felt the seasons changing. We both felt the excitement to go do something different. Even if we knew we were leaving something else behind or having to end something that we loved, we were both on the same page, and it, it made it so much easier to move forward into what he was calling us to, to do. But this was completely different. So it made it very, very awkward. It made it very, very confusing. And we realized at that point we had to like fight for our own spiritual health because here was the deal. While they were having this sweet, precious prayer time at the pastor's house, my response was not quite so sweet. I was more having a holy hissy fit than anything else. Y'all, it was bad. Like, does, does anybody identify with that? Have you ever had a hissy fit with God? Like, just sh- raise your oh, hand if you've ever I'm had Oh, yay, I'm not a alone. Hissy fit with, yeah, me yes. too. I've, I've had one, just one of those. Yes, but when I had... Just one. Okay. You're not so... Anyway. So, back to my, my hissy fit, because it was bad. Have you ever had that moment where you know you're being ridiculous, but you just can't stop it? Yes. Look at all the heads nodding. Thank you. Thank you. And hands raising, too. Perfect. Yes, that's the, that's the moment I was in. I was ticked off. No one was around, but I had me a yelling, screaming fit. Y'all, it was ridiculous. I knew it was going on. I wasn't there, but I could feel it. You could feel it for miles. So anyway, I got to the point where I was like, look, I know that there's something off in this reaction. I don't know what it is. So for months, it was awkward. It was super awkward because he was ticked off because I wasn't letting him follow God's will. Okay, so let me introduce you, let me interrupt for a second on that. Um, God called us to each other. He made us one. It didn't seem probable that he's calling us to two different things. And so in my spiritual and emotional immaturity and egocentricness, can anybody identify with that? I immediately assumed that she's in sin, afraid, running from God, has her heels dug in, and I begin to resent her for keeping me from achieving what God has called us to do, and blaming her in my heart for a lack of faith, and like literally just whining, like like just just whining. But I want to take you um, to two places. We want to take you to two places right now. The first is Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, wives, submit to your husband. Do you know that in that section of scripture, 
It says, wives, submit to your husband in the first verse and half of the second verse. But there's 11, 11 verses that talk about husbands leading your wives, that you wash her with the water of the word, and that you are the head of your wife like Christ is the head of the church, and that you are to lay down your life for your wife. So in my immaturity of beating my fist on the table like, and demanding my way in my heart, I was closing my heart to the possibility that I might be wrong and not realizing that maybe God was using this situation as an opportunity for both of us to move towards spiritual health. And until we came to unity on this, we shouldn't do anything. You see, what God was doing in this call to go somewhere was revealing to both of us what was going on in our heart. He had a greater purpose. God loves the people of Peoria, but him calling me to that place had nothing to do with the people of Peoria. It had the people of, of Dan Durbin and Carol Beth Durbin in mind. He was working in our hearts because, you know, there's a thing called the secret place of God that it refers to in Psalms 139, where he's, he's knitting us together and he's teaching us how to be like him. That's where I had to go in order to really find resolution. Well, and I had to go to my own secret place. So it was about 10 months later when I was tired, I was exhausted, I was a little burned out. So I got sent away, um, actually begged to go to the cabin. Um, and when I got there, I was like, all right, God, I am tired of this tension. It's been 10 months of like passive aggressive drama and I'm done. Like what is going on? Why are we on two different pages? Am I not hearing you? Is he not hearing you? What's the problem here? So it didn't take him long in his faithfulness to reveal to me my issue. And if you're not looking for your own issue, then you're not ever going to get to unity, right? So as I'm looking for my Say own issue, again. if you're not looking for your own issue, you're never going to get to unity. If all I did was say, he's wrong, he's being stupid, and he's just wanting to run from things, that's not helpful. I wasn't there to pray that God would fix him. I was there to, for God to fix me, okay? So as I was doing that, God very quickly revealed to me that the reason why I had my really ugly, nasty, hissy fit was that I had put my position here and Epic Church as a whole as an idol. And I had put that before him. That's totally embarrassing to say, but I didn't want to leave this. I was having fun I was seeing how God was moving. He was using my gifts and all of those things. And I saw how he was using Dan too. He was connecting us not just here but in the city. And I could just, I could see the possibilities and the opportunities. And I didn't want to give that up. I was like, no, 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 God. You moved me to Decatur. I didn't really want to go there. But now I love it. And we're settled. And y'all, the transition to get our kids here was horrible. It was a hard, hard road. And I didn't want to go through that again. But then I had to get to my own secret place where I could remember, you know what? Well before I was even a wife or a mom and way before I ever even knew Epic Church existed, I was God's kid. Like it took me back to Psalm 63, which is my very favorite. And just a couple of verses, it says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And then down at verse 7, it says, Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. I remembered all the times God had been faithful. I remembered all the times he had led us through hard times. Like, y'all, deployment is horrible. But he got us through it because he's compassionate and loving and faithful. And he taught us so many things through it and brought us closer together. And so I was like, he's never failed me before, even in the hard times. Why in the world would I think he would fail us now? And then I happened to remember God called us together before he ever called me to a position at Epic Church. And so this had to be more important. I had to put my position here, 
this church, all of the things that I was involved in and all the things that made me feel important and realize I had to put that on the altar and say, my important comes from being God's kid and that's it. And my marriage is more important than any town, any church, any position ever. So I learned the word surrender in that weekend and it was a hard lesson. And if anybody was in cabins around me, they heard some wailing and moaning, it was bad. But it was good all at the same time. So I came home and I was like, all right, babe, whatever you want to do, let's just go to Peoria and check it out. Because I still wasn't like, yes, Peoria's it, let's go. You know, it still wasn't that. I still didn't feel like God had said it's time for y'all to go. But we had to go and check it out and find out one way or another where God was leading. So I went from absolutely holy hoedown, like we're going, we'll send you all that, to a few months later I went to him and said, I love what we're doing too much here. Like, I'm staying. We're not leaving. You know, I I was having this bipolar experience of, I agree with you, God. I agree with Carol Beth. Like, do you two agree? Like, I don't know. I'm really lost to finally I just resolved, okay, I think we're supposed to stay. Well, now all of a sudden my wife's coming back from a mountaintop experience with God and says, hey, whatever it is, I'll go. I'm like, okay, so do now I go back and say, hey, just kidding. Um, We really are going right? Well, I don't want to, no one wants to be that guy, right? But we're legitimately trying to discern the voice of God here and go, and it's not always an easy thing. Can I get an amen? Like, is it always easy for you guys? Well, this time it wasn't. So it came down to a head like New Year's Eve where I was like, I have to put this to bed. I have to go. Like, God is calling me to at least go check it out. So we changed all our plans for the weekend um, we're like two days removed from Pastor, Pastors Ivy and Benet are going to announce all the staff changes that we announced like the first Sunday this year. This year, yeah. Um, and now I'm calling them saying, hey, I'm, I hate to say it, but we're going up to Peoria to find out if, if God's really there or he's here. I mean, I know God's in Peoria, but for us. And so um, that was a hard phone call to make. But I had to, to follow what I thought God was saying. So pastor gave me his blessing um, and his car <laughs> because mine was broken down. And we went. And he prayed for us. He blessed us. And y'all, like, I'm saying we're, we're on the road for, it's like a 12-hour drive. About five or six hours in, all of a sudden, God starts downloading vision to me for what I'm supposed to do in Decatur. And I'm like, well, what? where was that six months ago? Like, For real? Come on, God. Like, are, are you for real right now? Like, that's all really embarrassing. He's like, so what do you love? Do you love me? Or do you love your reputation? What's it mean that you're embarrassed about this? What does this hardship cause you to do, Dan? Like, you've been more desperate on your face before me in this last year than you have been in how long? aren't I good? Maybe. You might be. I'm not sure right now. I'm kind of mad, you know? Like, I don't know what to think. Just give me a couple more hours of highway, you know? So I'm, I'm burning up. And then I'm like, Carol Beth, write this down, you know? And I just, she's, she's scribing for me while I'm driving down the road. And it's all about small groups and things in the city and, and things that God's called me to my whole life. And I'm like, Lord, I'm like, this is so good. And my heart's on fire, but what are you doing? And so we, we walk it through, and like after our first night in Peoria, we both looked at each other. We're like, it's not, it's not this. This isn't, this isn't it. And so it took some time, but what I discovered in all of that is that I, too, had made, get this, achievement and great exploits for God my idol. I was coming to God, this is embarrassing, I was coming to God saying, look, God, look, 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 look what I did. But you can't earn God's favor through achievement. It's not what you do for him that causes him to be pleased with you. He's already pleased with you. Do you know what it takes to please God? Faith. To believe that he's already pleased with you in Christ. That's what it takes to please God. I had to believe what he was saying about me 
And I had to accept that I might have to put my dream of planning a church and doing this thing on the altar and accept this transition that we were making here, regardless of how I felt about it at the time, and trust him in it. So the question is, who was right? Was I right? Was God really calling us to Peoria and he changed his mind in, in 12 months? Or was Carol Beth right and he's like, no. I'm like, I don't know what you were smoking in the cabin, but God didn't say to go to Peoria. Like, the answer is yes. If your theology will allow it, what God was doing was creating a circumstance or allowing a circumstance to show us our hearts. And the mature thing to do, men and women of God, is to be with God and evaluate your own heart. Well, and that trip, too, gave us the opportunity to fight for our unity because we both had to put things on the altar. We both had to walk towards each other to be able to see what God was doing, but we had to both be walking towards God first. What happens a lot of the time when couples get into these situations where they're going different directions or they think different things, it gets awkward like, there's nothing more awkward than your husband feeling like you're keeping him from serving God. Like, uh, right? I mean, we're supposed to be breathing life into their hearts and lungs as their wives, and I felt like I was sucking it out. But at the same time, I wasn't hearing from God clearly. So I was in this weird, super awkward place. And it's, when, it's in those moments that a lot of couples just quit. They give up in the awkwardness. And they don't fight through, and they just give up. But I need you to hear anything today. Don't quit in the awkwardness. We say in ECLI all the time, don't quit in the dark. And it feels super dark when it gets that awkward, and you and your spouse feel like you're hearing two different things. But don't quit in the awkwardness, because this is your opportunity to trust God more than you're actually trusting your spouse or even yourself. So if you're going to lead well, I want you to hear something that's been coming out as you've listened to the, um, the, the words and the songs as we worshiped are straight out of Scripture. When Pastor Amy got up here during the welcome and she reads out of a psalm because it's the crying of a true worshiper's heart that's reading the lament and the longing for God. You heard me reference Psalm 139 and you hear Carol Beth talk about Psalm 63. I woke up like this week preparing for it with Psalm 42 and 43 on my heart. And Psalm 139, like, are you noticing a trend? Well, Psalm 84 says this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my king, and my God. The verse five. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways designed, which that means in whose heart wants to long and yearn for God. That those people are blessed. And listen to this. This is amazing. As they go through the valley of Baca, which means the valley of suffering, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength as each appears before God in Zion. What that psalm really means is, as your heart is set on seeing God, you will go through, as they go through valleys of suffering, they make it. Who is they? Those who are going through the valley of suffering choose to trust God in that suffering and they make it actually a refreshing place. Do you think that year was fun? That year was one of the worst. And I've been through some real trials and struggles, and you have too in your life. But we can be a willing participant in suffering for suffering's sake, or we can cause our suffering to produce something great in us. Some of you have been resentful and angry at God because you suffered hard times. And never gone to him and said, God, can you help me make sense of this? Will you rescue me? That's what making the valley of suffering a refreshing spring means. Your suffering doesn't have to produce death. Your suffering can cause you, as it says in verse 7, 
they go from strength to strength. We are stronger as a couple now because we went through a year of, of fighting, of struggling, of striving, of being in the secret place of God and learning what his thoughts are about me. And his thoughts about me are the same thoughts he has about her, are the same thoughts that he has about you. So people of God, we beg you, as you walk through this journey as a dad, as a mom, as a child of God, fight for unity and go to the secret place for real, not a devotional for five minutes and run out the door so you can get your gold star for Jesus for the day and check it off your list. He's not pleased with your doing. He's pleased with your becoming like him, which means believing what he says about you. And what he says about you is, you are beautiful beyond compare, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And I rejoice over you with singing and dancing. And I remove from you your sins as far as the east are from the west. And I long to be with you and I rest in silent satisfaction in who you are and who I've created you to be. Got anything? So... We talked about the first two points. We want to say that, that you need to fight for your own spiritual health. You need to fight for unity. But sometimes you end up having to forgive each other. You know, like if your husband went and told the pastors before he told you. Things like that. But then also, he had to forgive me for where I was spiritually. I had to forgive him for where he was spiritually. And you end up, like, sometimes you end up forgiving for things that, well, I didn't really do anything wrong. It's not the point. Sometimes it's just not the point. Just forgive to get all the drama and the tension out. Yeah. And then the next thing is, so you fight for unity. You, you go to the secret place with God. You forgive each other. And then whenever you're in a place like this, just do the next right thing. Like if you want to know what the, what the most practical thing to escaping disobedience and disconnection with God and disconnection with one another... The, the, the quickest way you can do that is say, God, what is the next right step for me? Forget all the things behind me that, I've, that I may or may not have messed up. What are you asking me to do right now? Is it to load up the car and go to Peoria and find out if you're there or not? Okay, I'll do that. Is it to walk in and apologize to my wife and tell her I'm sorry? Is it to go be with you? Is it to call a trusted friend or pastor and say, I can't see the can't see the trees for the forest or the forest for the trees. I need your help. Whatever that next right thing is, just do that thing. Forget the gigantic aspect of moving your whole family halfway across the country. Just do that next right thing. And if you do that next right thing, God will meet you there. Amen? Has this been helpful? Are you glad you're not the only couple that sometimes finds yourselves not aligning? Because it happens to all of us. So I'm going to pray for us and close us out on this awesome Father's Day. And I'm just going to encourage you. If you don't know where else to go in Scripture to be with God, open the Psalms this week and just ask God, would you speak to me there? Father God, I thank you so much for an incredible journey, for an opportunity, Lord God, to trust you even when things are hard. God, I thank you for the lamenting and the praising and the struggling and the striving and the great hope and encouragement that's found in your, in your word, God. This week, as men and women run to the secret place to be with you, God, would you please meet with them there as you give grace to the humble and as you love, Lord God, to be with us. We long and desire to be with you, and we can't wait to charge into this week filled with the life that you've poured into us today. God, we love you, we honor you, we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.